Malachi 3, verse 6 to um, 14. Malachi 3, 6 to 14. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offering, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and get going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks, Nihon. So I think like the rest of... Um uh, the rest of mankind, this kind of in, interprets itself. You almost don't really need me um, to, to say any more about this. Um, but we'll say a little bit uh, about it. But let me pray uh, first. Father God, please speak to us through your word. We want to hear you. We don't want to hear ideas of, of people. Um, but equally, we, and we don't want to be blind like uh, Judah were blind in Malachi's time. They they couldn't see what you were saying for, to them, and they couldn't see it even when you said it to them. Lord, we don't want to be like that. So we ask you to come, uh, um, send your spirit upon your word, um, to open the, the eyes of our hearts to anything we might be blind to this morning, uh, that we might see you and glorify you uh, in these difficult and dark days. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So hopefully out there, we, it's possible, um, if you're on a laptop, you can split screen, you should be able to see me and, um, and the slides at the same time. If you're on an iPad, you should be, see me as a tiny thing in the bottom corner. Um, on a phone, I think it's a bit different. So I wonder what your response has been to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the bigger picture, once we've got over this, uh, how do we deal with it? Um, uh, and the, the immediate danger it has for us. Uh, do you think it's a kind of message in, in, the, in the coronavirus pandemic? Um, and, and sometimes I think we, we think, well, it's, it's God's warning to the world. Is it, is it God's warning to the world? Um, is it a message to the world to, um, to recognise that, uh, that, that they're not as self-sufficient um, as they might be, uh, and a call upon God to, um, to turn back to him? Well, what do you think about <clears throat> Black Lives Matter? Um, there's a whole heap we could say. Um, and do you look at, at the country around you and say, yeah, absolutely, it's time that people um, woke up to racism? Well, isn't it interesting 
I think, that as, as church, so often we say, yes, there's a warning in this, but it's a warning so often we think to somebody else. Isn't that strange? It's a warning to somebody else, and yet um, it's not a warning to us. But what is the Lord saying to us as a church, and what is he saying to you? What if uh, we turn this on its head, and instead of looking outwards, uh, as Christians we, we so often do, uh, as the world around us, uh, and look down on them and think uh, what the Lord might be saying to them, and think about what the Lord might be saying to us. Is this the Lord's call on his church? You have not uh, taken climate change and stewardship of the earth seriously enough, and you have not led the way. That's a different way of looking at it. What if um, the Lord is saying, uh, Black Lives Matter, why are these people um, out on the street when you, church, um, are my new creation, uh, my uh, united uh, people who should be showing the way? Um, should be the, the trailblazers um, in, in being a united people uh, across all ethnicities. So circumstances have been testing and, and circumstances, um, hard times uh, bring out individual sin. Um, the Lord routinely uses hard times to, to wake us up. Uh, to get our attention, uh, to speak to us. Um, but is there more? Is, is, there, is there a bigger message in these times? And that's why we've been back in Malachi. And in Malachi, we've met the, the people of Judah. They're uh, a remnant of what was once Israel, um, and they're now just really the one little tribe plus a few extras returned from um, a captivity, um, uh, latterly under Persia, and now they're just a little province of, of Persia. Um, maybe a, a, a territory 20 miles square. They've got this disappointing new temple. We just uh, read earlier on about uh, David creating the, the temple that Solomon would finish. It was a, Solomon's temple was a splendid thing. And, and now, um, after having been exiled and, and come back, the temple is a, is a poor reflection of what it was before. And there is no presence of God. There is no, uh, God is not visibly present amongst them as he was. Um, with the old temple. So the people, they, they have a problem with God. They have a problem with God, a complaint even. Uh, he's not judged their enemies, the, the annoying Persians, and he's not come amongst them with his powerful presence. And their response is to become half-hearted at best in their worship of the Lord. And the key thought really for today is that they're blind to the fact that they think they have a problem with God, God has let them down, where in fact the reality is that the Lord has a problem with them. And so far we've seen he's brought uh, four charges against them, and today we, we come across the fifth, and we'll just look at it briefly. Um, and it starts with a really kind of sober reminder, well, a sober and a positive reminder. Uh, and the Lord says to them, um, he says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, uh, are, are not destroyed. Your continued existence relies on my character, he says. The very fact that you are here at all and have not been um, wiped off the map is because I, the Lord, do not change. You're not here um, because of your good works. You've not returned to the land because you've been um, a good boys and girls. Um, who, uh, uh, and so I felt obliged because you're so good and so uh, wonderful. 
He says to them, you, you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. So he reminds them of their forefather, Jacob. He says, your sons of him. I think it was a liar and a cheat. And he says, morally, as well as biologically, um, you are descendants of, of Jacob. And you actually um, deserve nothing. But you do not face my anger because I do not change, he says. Because I am the loving God. Because I am a forgiving God. Because I am a God of patience and forbearance. And I am a covenant-making, promise-keeping God. I promised um, to Jacob that I would be his God. Uh, and he would be uh, my people. And that's a promise that I keep. It's a promise that we see in more familiar terms in Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it's true of us, it's true of us as a church. Stains Home um, is here not because we've performed well. Stains Home is, is still here because the Lord does not change. Um, because the Lord is a good and forgiving and patient God with his people. If the Lord's character were otherwise, we would deserve nothing but his curse and his penalty. And we would have been destroyed, but we're not. Um, Stains coming still here as I look out the window. Uh, I know that's not really Stains coming, that's you, all the people who are online. But we're here because um, the character of God is the same. And he says to the people, he says, um, ever since the time of your ancestors, you know, you've turned away. Um, he says, I don't change, but then sadly, neither do you. You, uh, you always turn away, he says, turn away from my decrees and you don't keep them. Tendencies of people have always been um, to turn away from my decrees and not kept them. And he says, you've given them um, minimal attention. And he says now, as he has been in, in these last, uh, in the last, in the previous chapters, you've been um, paying lip service um, to my commands, to my decrees, the things that I have said. I, I am your God and you're my people, um, but that behoves you then um, to behave like it. And he says to them, you haven't. You're acting as you always have been turning away. And he says to them then, uh, this, uh, these amazing words, uh, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. So he says to them, he says, you wail about me not acting in the areas of life you want to see me act. You get cross about unanswered prayer. Um, you have a problem with me, but you don't realise that I have a problem with you. And he says, return to me. And then the people say this amazing thing, how are we to return? They don't even know where they've fallen short, they're, they're blind um, to their sin. And I wonder if the Lord uh, came to you today and said, return to me um, and I will return to you. Would you know what he's talking about? What a scary place to be. Um, that they've arrived at the point that when the Lord said, return to me and I will return to you, they say, how? They say, what? Where? What have we done? Would we know if the Lord came uh, today and said to you, or said to us as a church, return to me and I will return to you? I think we'd be in the same state. We'd say, Lord, 
what he what he's saying. And he says specifically to, to the people of Judah, he says, um, let me give you an example. Um, because this is not the only, this is not obviously the only area where, where they're going wrong. But, but he says, let me give you another example of where you're falling short. He says, you are robbing me. You are robbing me. And the people say, they still don't understand. Still have no idea. They say, how, how are we robbing you? And he says to them very simply, um, you're bringing less than the whole time. Bringing less than the whole time. Very simply, um, you're due to bring a tithe, a tenth of your income, um, and you are bringing less. And he says, by doing so, you are, you've invited my curse. My, my, my blessing is, is uh, me making everything go well for you. And my curse is, is me uh, opposing you so that things don't go well for you. And he says to them, very simply, bring the whole time. Wouldn't that be a, a devastating thing if this were a metaphor for how you or I uh, treated the Lord? He's due something, isn't he? Actually, he's due our, our, our whole lives. Um, and, and do we bring him less? If this were a metaphor for our lives, how devastating would that be? <clears throat> so tithing in Israel, let's just get this clear. The people of Israel were supposed to give a tenth of their crops and their herds, so uh, what they grew in the fields um, uh, and the animals as they multiplied. They were supposed to bring a tent um, to the Lord, and it supported the ministry of the Levites and the priests. Um, but it was used, there was a time as well for providing um, for the poor. So how can Judah be robbing God? I think it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How can they uh, rob from God? Well, they've not recognized that all their goods came from the Lord. And this tithe is, a, is an expression of this truth. Um, that, that everything they have comes from the Lord. They're not giving the Lord something that they own. They have this sense that they've grown it, that they've earned it, that they've produced it, that it is theirs, uh, and they're giving of something that is uh, theirs, um, which they're giving back to the Lord. But it's not true. Everything that, that they had, um, all the, uh, the crops as they grew, um, and the animals as they multiplied were due to the Lord. And he is due a proportion of them back in thanks and in praise. But also it supported um, the ministry that they, that they needed from, from the Levites um, to, to, to stay in, in a right relationship with the Lord um, through, through sacrifices, both through, through teachings and so forth. but they're not really bothered. What about in the church then? What about us? Well, we're under a, a better covenant um, than the old covenant. We're in the New Testament, aren't we? We're in a new covenant times. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews says, the ministry Jesus received is as superior to theirs, the priests and the Levites, that is, 
as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. So Jesus' ministry is, is better than the priests in the same way um, that the covenant he works under is better than the old one. Because the new covenant is established on better promises. That's Hebrews 8. You can follow that through for yourself. We're under a covenant of, of grace, not, a, not of law. Um, it is uh, the good news of the new covenant is that uh, it's not based on our performance of the law. It's based on Jesus' performance of the law. Um, he has uh, performed all the law um, and it is credited to us. And we have not performed the law and, and our penalty is credited to him. You know this. Um, this is the new covenant and what a great thing it is. But how ironic is it if, because we have a better covenant, a covenant of grace, somehow we feel less obliged or less inclined um, to give uh, financially, but also in other ways, to the Lord and to his purposes. So we we say we're, we're not under we're not under law under grace, uh, and so we feel that um, tithing um, doesn't apply. It's not entirely true because um, Abraham tithed and equally he was not under um, he was not under the law of Moses, and we have something better. We have a better covenant, um, a, a covenant of, of grace in which we uh, have freedom. Uh, and we have freedom to do uh, what comes from our hearts. God loves a, uh, he says, God loves a cheerful giver, Paul says, and we don't give under uh, reluctantly or in a compulsion. Uh, and yet, when it actually comes out, when in the great scheme of things, what actually comes out of our hearts uh, is, is, is less than the time. Something's gone wrong. I speak to my own heart. So I join you in, in, in hearing this. But something has gone wrong. We think we own our possessions. I think all this, all this stuff that I have, um, somehow we think I've, I've earned it by, by the, the sweat of my brow. Um, it, it, it's mine. I've I, I worked for it. And even if it, some of it came by chance, I've kind of looked after it. It's not yours. It belongs to the Lord. You have it in stewardship uh, from the Lord. And that changes the way we look at it. If everything you have is in stewardship from the Lord, then you look at it uh, from the terms of what can I do for the Lord with this stuff that I have? When you own it, you kind of think, how little can I, of this can I get away with giving to the Lord's purposes? When you have it in stewardship, you, you think, who could, I bless, who could I bless with this? Who and what and how um, can I bless? Uh, how can I bless the kingdom of God um, with this? Job knew this, I think. It, it, interestingly, if you look up Job, uh, in Job 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave you, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it's worth reflecting on. He recognises that he, he, he's born naked, he's born, he's born without possessions, 
he, he's going to die and he's not going to take any possessions with him. In the meantime, the Lord gave to him the stuff that he had, all his riches, it came from the Lord. And, and so it's the Lord's prerogative, he says, um, to, to take it away from him. And he's able to say, may the name of the Lord be praised. So this fact that he um, sees his possessions as stewardship gives him, a, gives him a great resilience in the hard times. Now we know that his patience is tested, not least by his so-called friends. Um, but at the outset, um, the fact that he sees everything he has as stewardship gives him great resilience in the hard times. So Christians, the invitation is to give uh, willingly, the invitation is from the Lord is to, to give out of um, in the in the same manner as the grace you received from Christ. It's grace under uh, under this better covenant. Um, the Lord wants you to give, and you can pick up. It's always worth reading two Corinthians eight and nine when we come to this. And I'll just very quick um, pick up some some highlights. Um, he says um, to the Corinthian church, two Corinthians eight. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's amazing, isn't it? In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, so giving uh, to the Lord's people as a privilege. And he says to Corinthians, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus is our example of going into poverty to make other people rich. He says, if the willingness is there, the gift is access, acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So like the widow's, the widow's might, she gives all she has, uh, but her gift is massive in proportion, actually it's 100% of what she has at that point in time. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality in the people of God. But he goes on to say in uh, chapter 9, remember this, you have a so sparingly uh, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves uh, a cheerful giver. It's great. So. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that's essentially what Malachi says, isn't it? Well, that's actually what the Lord says through Malachi. It says, test me out, try me out. Um, he, invests, he, he invites them, I guess. It, 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 it's not unrisky, is it? Um, but the Lord says, when you give wholeheartedly to me, okay, he says these three things. Um, I will overwhelm your storage capacity. system. you'll have more crops than you're able to store. He says, I will cause things beyond your control to go your way. So in, in this um, agrarian society, it's much clearer that not everything is in their control. So the, uh, the sun and the rain um, are not in their control for their crops. 
um, and, and even their animals, you know, might get diseases and so on that, that were just not in their control. Um, so very clear to that society um, that um, they were not in control uh, of their income generation. Um, and the Lord says, uh, if you give to me wholeheartedly, I will cause the things beyond your control to go your way. And it's a principle we find harder to, um, to get hold of. But actually, we don't really believe it. I don't think that the Lord uh, will see things beyond our capacity going away. But I think I've said this before. Uh, one of my examples is my, uh, my sister-in-law and her husband. Um, and uh, over, over time, they, they kind of they bought and sold houses um, because um, uh, they've lived where the Lord, it's always been uh, in pursuit of a, of a ministry um, to the Lord, and the Lord has made things go their way. Um, they bought a house um, in, in Cyprus, um, and the, the Green Line was opened up in 2003, and the, the, uh, the, the price of, of the property went up really significantly. Um, that was something not under their control. Um, they bought in Luton, and Luton's become one of the actually one of the kind of highest uh, boom places for, for property in, in the in the country. Um, and now somebody's offered them a house um, to use. Um, it's just uh, it, it's a it's a picture which I, I think we don't really believe uh, that when we give wholeheartedly to the Lord, we give ourselves to the service of the Lord, we give our possessions to the service of the Lord. He will cause those things that are beyond our control uh, to go away, which is what we mean when we say He will bless us. And he says um, to Judah uh, as a tribe, as a, as, as a little tiny uh, remnant of a nation, then all the nations will call you blessed. If you give wholeheartedly, I, I will bless you, I will give to you, and, um, and then the people around you will see the difference between you um, and them. Now you see, we don't uh, we're not in the same kind of society, we're not. Uh, I, I guess uh, some of you have gardens and allotments and you plant things um, and you, you uh, reap all kinds of harvest, but what kind of harvest do we as Stains can want to see? Um, and you know what, I, I think it's, I want to see a harvest of people coming to know Jesus for the first time. I want to see them um, uh, included and added into his church and then growing up to be more like Christ um, to be fruitful disciples. Uh, that's the kind of harvest I want to see. I trust that's the kind of harvest you want to see. Um, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, are, are few. He had this kind of harvest in mind. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out um, workers into his harvest field. So we want to be a church in which God moves, in which God moves in saving ways, as we witness through word-based wonders. But is this harvest meager? Because we're not giving to the Lord wholeheartedly. It's lovely that we have started to see a harvest uh, of people being saved and being added to the church and growing in Christ. But is it meagre? Has it been meagre because we don't give to the Lord wholeheartedly? That's not necessarily about giving financially, but it might be. It might be that you've arrived in this place um, that Judah at this time of, of, of a little bit kind of going through the motions. As we said, said before, they don't have the, um, 
they, they don't have the, uh, the courage to, to leave God and they don't have the courage to serve him wholeheartedly. Well, let's not get into the same place where we're going through the motions and we're doing neither. We're neither walking away nor are we um, giving God our, our best. And I think the same potentially applies to, to the Sabbath. We're not under law in terms of the Sabbath, but actually the net effect of being under grace and under law is we give less of our time. I think we have to think about that. I think I have to think about that. Um, am I just giving the law the minimum of the Sabbath? And I get, and I get, um, am I giving him uh, less than less than a time? I, I'm under grace. So the obligation is different, but sure it's not less. But it'd be dreadful, wouldn't it, if we're not seeing a harvest of, of souls because we're just not giving to the Lord wholeheartedly, whatever that means. So very briefly, um, Thomas Brooks, was writing in the time of the plague in 1665. Um, it may be that the, this is not the issue the Lord is putting on your heart, but um, we've been looking at how do we decide, how do we discern what is the Lord saying to me? If the Lord is saying to you, return to me and I will return to you, what is he saying? How do you work it out? Um, and we looked at those top two last week. Which, What is the sin that hinders you from claiming God's promises? When you want to claim God's promises, what is that thing that speaks back to you and stands in the way? Um, Look back to the day you were most frightened of being exposed for a sin. What was it? Chances are that is the thing that the Lord is saying to you. And, and two today, which I think sort of overlap a bit, really, on things he's already said. Um, but number nine is which sin most hinders your service of God? When, you, when you're about to go to church, what is it um, that, that cuts in? When you're about to, when you're about to pray, um, what is it that cuts in and gets in the way? Um, when you think, who can I pick up the phone and encourage? What is it that gets in the way? Um, is it a sin of kind of essentially slow thoughts or, or weariness, sluggardliness? We're reading that in the Proverbs. And, and number 10, he says, which sin makes you commit other sins if it serves? If there's a besetting sin in your life, then you're surrounded with other sins that, that, that serve it. Um, uh, it. Is there a sin in your life which causes you to kind of lie about what you're doing um, to other people, for, for example? Um, are there sins in your life which cause you to then hide stuff, um, you know, from your partner or from your work or whatever it might be? So there's just a couple of thoughts you take away. I think uh, number 11 and 12, a bit more um, cutting, in my opinion. But there we go. That's Tom's Brooks. So just to sum up, what's your problem? What's, what's your problem with the Lord? And then turn it on its head. Is it a situation that's actually come about because the Lord has a problem with you? So you think the Lord is letting you down, the Lord is not acting. Is, is it actually, has this come about actually because the Lord has a problem with you? Is there something he's putting on your heart? So ask yourself today, what, what kind of things are, what kind of things that are actually his um, are you holding on to? Be it uh, possessions or 
money or time. Which things of his are you holding on to that you really need to give? And then be brave. Test him out. Test him out on that promise that if you give to him, there'll be a harvest. Let me play with him. Father God, help us um, today to hear what you're saying to us. And Lord, we know we're under grace, we're not under law. These are not things said to condemn, but to build up. But Father God, please protect us from thinking we're under grace, so therefore we can do this. Father God, so encourage our hearts with who you are, that we want to do more like the Macedonians. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.